I want to focus your attention this morning on Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 21 through 35. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21 and reading down through verse 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is part four in a series that I've entitled Irreligious. And I've said the last three weeks that religion is the false idea that we have to get right, get clean, and get busy if we ever hope to get God's love and acceptance Religion, in other words, is all about me and my efforts, my holiness, my devotion, my commitment, my faithfulness, and so on. Religion may give lip service to Jesus hanging on a cross, but its emphasis is on you and me climbing a ladder. That's really the difference. In religion, a person's identity and worth is determined by their work for God. But in Christianity... A person's identity and worth is determined by God's work for them. Huge difference. Believe it or not, Christianity is not about Christians. Okay? The focus of the Christian faith is not the life of the Christian. Um, it's not about Christians, who they are and what they do. Christianity is about Christ. It's about who he is. It's about what he's done. So, Religion is fundamentally about keeping a moral code. Christianity, on the other hand, is fundamentally about a gracious God who saves people that fail to keep the moral code. Okay, there's a huge difference between those two things. Um, so, in this sense, there is nothing more irreligious than Christianity. And there was no one more irreligious who ever lived than Jesus when we define religion that way and distinguish religion and Christianity in the ways that I just did. 
Jesus, we've seen this week after week, he turns everything we think about God upside down. He's constantly flipping the script on what we've always assumed to be true about God, what we've always been taught about God and Christianity. And he does that again here by telling this parable. Uh, In Latin, the word parable literally means comparison. In Greek, the word parable literally means to set side by side. So anytime we read a parable in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, uh, Jesus is always telling a story that is comparing one thing with something else. He's setting two things side by side so that we will see the comparison and the contrast between those two things. Um, And in this parable, Jesus wants to compare the way we forgive with the way God forgives. That's what he wants to do here. Um, Our forgiveness is religious. In other words, it has limits. It has conditions. Just like religion has conditions, you must do certain things in order for God to love you. You must jump through certain hoops in order for God to accept you. So uh, our forgiveness is religious in this sense. It has limits. It has conditions. I'll forgive you if you show me that you're sorry. I'll forgive you this time, but if you do it again, I won't, okay? Um, God's forgiveness, on the other hand, is irreligious in this sense. It has no limits. It has no conditions. Uh, God's forgiveness is not if-then, it's because-therefore, It's not if you do certain things, then I will do certain things for you. It's because I've done certain things for you, then live this way. Big difference. Um, So Jesus places our forgiveness and God's forgiveness side by side in this parable. And in doing so, he shows us the difference between religion and Christianity. Peter's question, uh, the disciple Peter, his question is what prompts Jesus to tell this story. Um, And his question assumes that forgiveness has limits. He basically goes to Jesus and says, Uh, Jesus, um, how many times do I got to forgive someone if they keep sinning against me? I mean, what's the limit here? I mean, do I I forgive them three times and then I hit the ceiling? Or like, what's the limit here? Is it seven times? Do I have to forgive them seven times? I mean, that's a bit of a stretch. Someone does the same thing to you seven times and I have to forgive them seven times. Maybe after seven, on the eighth time, I don't have to forgive them anymore. Like, what, what's, the, what's the number here, Jesus? That's what Peter's really getting at. Um, and his question assumes, like I said, that forgiveness has limits. He shows his cards by essentially asking Jesus, when can we stop forgiving someone? Okay. Um, that's what he really wants to know. When is it okay, Jesus, to stop forgiving someone? Uh, who knows what was going on in Peter's life? Maybe he had a mother-in-law or a father-in-law or a child or a wife or whatever. Who knows? A friend, uh, a distant relative. Maybe there was someone in his life that just kept sinning against him in some way that was destructive. And he wants to know from Jesus himself, when can I stop forgiving this person? When is it okay to stop forgiving this person? Um, and, uh, you know, he's 
Jesus says, well, um, I'll give you the answer. In some translations say 77 times. Some translations say 70 times 7. In other words, Jesus is ultimately saying it's never okay to not forgive, ever. And so he tells this story. He says, let me illustrate this for you. Uh, There was a guy uh, who owed his boss a million dollars. And his boss called in the debt, and the guy comes before him and says, I can't pay it. I don't got the money. And so the boss says, okay, well, you're going to go to jail until you can figure out a way to pay it back. And the guy pleads, pleads with him and says, please, please, please have mercy on me. I'll I'll do what I can, and I'll pay you back. And the boss had mercy on him and felt pity for him and said, you know what? Forget the debt. You're debt-free. You can leave. The guy walks out the door, sees someone on the street who owes him 20 bucks, and says, hey, you owe me 20 bucks. And the guy says, I'm sorry I don't have it. I can't pay you right now. And the guy has him and his whole family thrown in prison. Uh, And then some people who saw this went and told the boss about what his servant had done. And the boss called him back in and said, you scumbag. I mean, I forgave you a million dollars. I mean, 20 minutes ago, I forgave you a million dollars. And you walk out the door and the way that you show your gratitude is by throwing some guy who owes you 20 bucks in jail until he can pay you back. And of course, the boss had him then thrown in jail. So Jesus tells this story, and what he, the person he wants us to identify with, I mean, we read this story and we're like, what kind of, I mean, this guy was just forgiven a million dollar debt. And I mean, he bumps into some guy who owes him 20 bucks, and he has no mercy, no pity on this guy, throws him in jail and says, until you can pay me back, this is where you will stay. I mean, it makes no sense. It's irrational. When we read this story, we think this is insane. But Jesus wants Peter, and through Peter, us, in answering Peter's question, to see that we, we are the unforgiving servant, okay? We are the ones who bastardize God's forgiveness of us by withholding forgiveness from others. Um, Jesus' point is simple in this parable. Given the unpayable amount of debt we owed... And the full forgiveness of that debt by God, we should always be quick to forgive. Always. That's the the point of his story. He wants his followers to know that in light of God's forgiveness of us, there is absolutely no scenario whatsoever that warrants our unwillingness to forgive. None at all. In fact, our refusal to forgive is the greatest proof that we don't understand how much we've been forgiven. Now, uh, that's a, I mean, it's stinging, this leveling of accusation, this judgment of Jesus toward those of us who are slow and to forgive toward those of us who refuse to forgive, um, Because he tells this story to show just how irrational and ungrateful we are when we refuse to forgive someone else in light of the million-dollar debt that God forgave of us. Um, Jesus wants his disciples to know that there is no cutoff point for forgiveness. None that they may never allow someone's repeated offenses to have any effect whatsoever on their willingness to forgive at all, okay? C.S. Lewis once said, we all think forgiveness is a great idea until we have something to forgive, okay? 
This is stinging, okay? While I'm reading through this, and I'm just like, this is not good for me. I'm reading through this yesterday. I'm like, this is not good for me. This is not good for me. Um, I mean, let me say that again. Jesus wants his disciples to know that there is no cutoff point for forgiveness. No, none. That they may never allow someone's repeated offenses to have any effect whatsoever on their willingness to forgive, which is why he says 70 times 7. He also makes it clear at the end of this parable that it's not enough for us to simply say, I forgive you. It has to come from the heart. In other words, you have to mean it, really mean it. It's not enough to go, I forgive you when my kids were small. And one of my sons did something to another, to my other son. I would say, say you're sorry. Sorry. Now say you forgive him. I forgive you. Now go play. Okay? That was the extent of it. That doesn't cut it here. Okay? Um, we all did that with our kids, I'm sure. If you have kids, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. You're going to get spanked if you don't say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Now say I forgive you. I forgive you. Okay, now get away from me. Um, it has to come from the heart. In other words, you have to mean it. You not only have to forgive 70 times 7, you have to want to forgive 70 times 7, okay? And your hurt is no excuse to offer half-assed forgiveness, okay? None at all. So you read this and you're like, <laughs> but you don't, but yeah, he did, he did, but she did no excuse at all. Jesus gives us no excuse. Our hurts are no excuse to offer half-hearted forgiveness. We may justify our refusal to forgive in a thousand ways. Well, he never said sorry. She's never admitted what she did to me. He never asked for forgiveness. She's done this one too many times. But Jesus' point is clear. It is never okay to not forgive. Ever. Refusing to forgive someone for any reason is never, ever justifiable before God. Ever. That's the heavy part. And we're all guilty. Every single one of us. Now, I know this brings up a lot of questions. Questions of enablement, questions of boundaries, etc., etc. But Jesus isn't talking about the danger of enabling someone or the need for boundaries here. Those things have nothing to do with our willingness to forgive at all. Now, I'm going to go off on a little side road here for just a second uh, because I wrote something about this maybe three years ago um, because as I was talking about this, the, it, it came up. The whole question of uh, enablement or boundaries came up. And so I wrote this, and maybe this will be helpful. Sadly, broken relationships are a part of life in a fallen world. I've experienced many, and over time, I've learned a crucial distinction that has helped me move forward in the wake of relationships that have fallen apart for one reason or another, and I hope it helps you too. When it comes to human relationships, there's a difference between reconciliation and reactivation. The reconciliation of a broken relationship does not necessarily mean the reactivation of that relationship. 
Reconciliation is two people deciding to go back and make peace with one another over past hurts, making amends with each other and offering forgiveness. Reactivation is two people who have reconciled, deciding to re-enter an active relationship. In other words, two people who have hurt each other can and should be reconciled, but that does not mean the relationship should be reactivated. Therefore, any insinuation that reconciliation or forgiveness has not happened unless or until the relationship is reactivated is a confusion of categories. It is always right to forgive, and when possible, and it's not always possible, it is always right to pursue reconciliation. But it is not always right to pursue reactivation. Okay, that's the difference. Now, I say all of that, okay, just to try to give some practical categories on how to navigate the difficult terrain of broken relationships and forgiveness and reconciliation and all those things. But you have to be very, very careful not to confuse the categories here because Jesus, in talking about forgiveness, and we do this often, we think, well, we can't forgive this person because they haven't or because they're not healthy or because they're toxic or because they hurt me. That, that's not what Jesus is talking about. It is never, ever okay not to forgive. Ever. The law requires, God's law requires 70 times 7 forgiveness. 70 times 7. That's what it requires from us. We don't do that, but that's what it requires from us. Um, so Jesus' mission is to set us free. And there may be nothing that keeps us from that freedom like our unwillingness to forgive. Failure to forgive keeps us bound and it makes us bitter, okay? If we go around counting the sins of other people, if we insist that beyond three months or 3,000 miles of someone sinning against us, their warranty of forgiveness will run out, then we are the ones who are enslaved, Okay? Refusing to forgive someone is the summit of hypocrisy. It is the apex of blindness to harp on what someone has done to you while ignoring what God has done for you. So wherever there is a posture of moral superiority, there will always be a lack of forgiveness. Always. Or to put it another way, wherever there is a lack of forgiveness, there is always a posture of moral superiority. Always. What makes people forgiving is a deep down realization of how much forgiveness they themselves need and how much forgiveness God himself has granted. Now, let me pause here and say something very important about the difference between religion and Christianity when it comes to sermons. Um, you see, I think most churches preach religious sermons rather than Christian sermons, and they don't even realize it. They don't even realize it. Um, the goal of a religious sermon and the goal of a Christian sermon are infinitely different infinitely different. The goal of a religious sermon is always to make you better. It's to improve you. That's the goal of a religious sermon. So in this case, in this passage, in this sermon, the goal of a religious sermon would be to get you to become more forgiving. That's the goal. 
You need to become more forgiving. And the more forgiving you become, the more God will take care of you. Okay, that's religion. That's a religious sermon. Now listen carefully. Improvement is never, ever the goal of a Christian sermon. Ever. It's never the goal. Believe it or not. And the reason that sounds strange to us is because we've become so accustomed to religious sermons, we think it's Christian. But the fact of the matter is improvement is never, ever the goal of a Christian sermon. It may be the byproduct of a Christian sermon, but it's never the goal. Okay? When Christ is presented... Improvement may happen, but improvement is never the goal of a Christian sermon, ever. The goal of a Christian sermon is simple, to give you Christ. To point you to that man's cross, to that man's blood, to that man's righteousness, to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's always the goal. Of a Christian sermon. Always, always. So in this case, in this passage, it would be to get you to see how unforgiving you actually are, which I think I've done, okay? And then, not to leave you there, and then to fix your eyes on Jesus, the only one whose forgiveness has no conditions and has no limits. That's the goal. Okay, so... um, And as a result of hearing that, you may actually become more forgiving. But that's never the goal. Okay, we've become so accustomed to thinking that Christianity is about self-improvement. It's like a divine self-help plan. And that God's primary interest in you is your moral transformation. Not true. Moral transformation may happen and certainly much slower than we typically think it does. But that's never the goal of Christianity. I said it last week. The focus of the Christian faith is the person and work of Jesus. It's about his substitution, not our transformation. There's a huge, huge problem, in my opinion, inside the church today because most Christians hear sermons or read books or or whatever the case may be, and they think what they're getting is Christianity when in essence what they're getting is just... uh, a self-help plan with some a twist of Jesus on it, basically. That's what they're getting. Um, so you see, a religious sermon makes every message about you and what you need to do or how you can improve. A Christian sermon makes every message about Jesus and what he's done. Okay, that's the difference. Now, the reason this is so important to bring up here is because it would be easy to hear what I've said so far and think, okay, I really have to get better at forgiving. Thanks, Pastor Tully, and very convicting. Great sermon. See you later. Okay? If you leave a church service thinking more about what you need to do than what Jesus has already done, you haven't heard the gospel. It's, it's that simple. I, 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 um, I know this is going to sound a little strange, but it, it's always a, a tad bit discouraging to me when somebody comes up to me after a sermon and says, thanks, Pastor Tully, that was really convicting. And I'm like, okay, I'm glad that at some point in the, in the sermon you felt uh, your need for Jesus. But I want you to leave with Jesus, not feeling simply your need for Jesus. I want you to feel your need for Jesus 
in the first part of the sermon, and then I want to deliver Jesus to you so that you walk out of here feeling relieved, feeling like the pressure's off, feeling unburdened, feeling free, feeling liberated. Um, so I, I, it, it's super important. This is super important for me to say because it would really be easy to hear, and this is the way this passage was originally presented to me. This was all about me getting better at forgiving people, okay? Um, and so it would be really, really easy to hear what I've said so far and say, okay, I, I, my gosh, I, if there's one thing I heard this morning, it is that I need to get better at forgiving. I need to get focused on forgiveness. And I'm going to leave here today, and I'm going to make it my mission to get focused on forgiveness. Um, the problem is that no matter how hard we try, we will always fail to forgive the way God has forgiven us. You're never on your best spiritual day going to do 70 times 7 forgiveness, ever. This passage presents a problem. Working hard at forgiving people better isn't going to cut it, <laughs> okay? You're never going to be able to forgive people the way God has forgiven you, never, in part because you're not God. And while we strive to be as unconditional as possible, we always have some conditionality, some strings attached in our heart and mind, whether we want them there or not, because we're fallen people, broken people, sinful people. So this passage is intended to show us just how desperate we are for God's forgiveness, okay? Um, our greatest need, let me, let me put it this way. This is the simplest way I can put it. Our greatest need is not to become more forgiving. Our greatest need is God's forgiveness. That's the difference between religion and Christianity. I wish I could open it up for questions right now because I would love to hear what you guys have to say and then answer your questions, but I'm not going to do it. Um, but that is, that is, a, um, that is an, a crucial, I cannot emphasize this enough, that is a crucial distinction. Our greatest Need is not, in this case, to become more forgiving. Our greatest need is God's forgiveness. We need forgiveness because we fail, because we gossip, because we're impatient, because we're not always thankful, because we're entitled, because we're selfish, because we hold grudges, because other people's sins against us bother us more than our sins against other people. We need God's forgiveness because we fail to forgive the way God has forgiven us. But here's the good news, okay? While it is true that we need God's forgiveness, it's also true that God freely forgives. Forgiveness is a gift given to those who need it, not a reward given to those who deserve it. Forgiveness is uniquely Christian and anti-religious in that sense. Okay. If religion is about conditions and limits and what it is we need to do to get certain things, then forgiveness, the way Jesus defines it, is not, is not uh, religious. It's uniquely Christian. Um, I mean, think about this. Before the prodigal son gets one word of confession out of his mouth, the father runs, throws his arms around him, and kisses him. Full stop. That's it. God's forgiveness of us is not dependent on our forgivability. It's not dependent on our, the sincerity of our confession. 
Because your confessions are never as sincere as you might think they are in the first place. It's not dependent on us cleaning up our act or getting it together. It's not dependent on whether we're worthy of it. It's dependent solely on his love for us. Because of Jesus, God chooses to forgive and God chooses to forget. I said it two weeks ago. The sins we can't forget, God chooses not to remember. Um, It's not that he can't remember. It's better than that. It's that he can and chooses not to remember. Others may count our sins against us. We may count our sins against us. But isn't it good news that God doesn't count our sins against us? That's what Paul says in Corinthians. That God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, but counting men's sins against us. Christ. That's the gospel. That's Christianity. It is Christ for you. Stacy and I were talking on, what day was it? Friday, I think. And we were talking about church in general and our church in particular. And uh, she said, you know, there are plenty of places where you can find community. You can find community At a bar, you can find community at a gym. Um, You can find community in a lot of different places in your neighborhood. There are plenty of places where you can find programming. I mean, you can find good programming in a lot of different places. Um, But there's really only one place where you can find Christ. And oftentimes, people come to church for the community or for the programming And as important as that is, that's not uniquely Christian. What's uniquely Christian is an institution, a place that is conscientious about delivering Christ to you, showing you your need, your desperate need for him, and then delivering him to you. Christ and him crucified for sinners like you and me. That's what makes, in my opinion, this place unique is because Jesus reigns supreme here. At least he ought to. He doesn't fully or infallibly, but he ought to. And we strive for Jesus to reign supreme here. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We want to be a church where those who have failed find God's forgiveness because God's forgiveness has found us. We want to be that kind of a place. We want to be a church that sticks with people when they stumble through the difficulties of life the way God sticks with us when we stumble through the difficulties of life. We want to be that kind of place. We want the sanctuary to exercise outrageous grace, the kind of grace that refuses to give up on those trapped by sin the way God refuses to give up on us when we are trapped by sin. That's what we want. The sanctuary is not a gym for spiritual muscle flexing. Um, It is a triage for the wounded where moral insurance isn't checked at the door, but where all are welcome and treated no matter who they are or what they've done. That's what we want. Before uh, Stacy and I got here a couple years ago, um, we were praying and thinking about whether or not this is what God wanted us to do. And uh, 
I was not as interested as she was, um, and I was so, still dealing with some PTSD from my previous church experience, and I thought, I'm not sure I want to go back to Egypt, you know? Uh, I've been released from bondage. I'm headed toward the promised land. I don't want to go back to Egypt. Um, and, uh, and the more we talked about it, the more we prayed about it, I remember us having a conversation one night, and I said, I, I think I would be willing to go if we can create the kind of church that would welcome people like us, people with soiled records, people who have crashed and burned, people who have bottomed out, people who are scared, um, people who have a hard time trusting other people because they've been betrayed, uh, people who feel the, the guilt and the shame and the loss and the regret of bad decisions. Uh, that, if we can go there and create that kind of a place, I'm all in, primarily because we need that kind of a place. Uh, if, we have, if we have the freedom to create a place that will, um, that will welcome us, um, and be a sanctuary for us, then I'm all in because I'm convinced there are way, 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 way more people out there like that than there are people who aren't like that.